We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world with all its power and might steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. Last week I shared with you the results of George Barna's research indicating that the majority of American pastors no longer have a biblical worldview. Several of you asked, well, what is it? What is a biblical worldview? Define it. Well, today I'm going to do so. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Good morning and welcome to The Rebellion. Thanks so much for listening into the show. Today's topic is the definition of a biblical worldview. Why? Well, as you know, last week I did a, a show here on The Rebellion. One of the episodes focused on George Barna's research, where he's telling us that the majority of our pastors no longer hold a biblical worldview. I've written about this. I've spoken about it here on The Rebellion. My article, in fact, in the Washington Times this past week on, weekend was on this very subject. Well, the response that I'm getting from some of you is a good one, and that is great information concerning information, sure, but we don't know what a biblical worldview is as it's defined by George Barna. So today I'm going to actually dig into that. I'm going to share with you the eight components of what George Barna considers to be a biblical worldview when he conducts his research. So let's take a break, and when I get back, I'll give you a brief summary of the data that I reported in the Washington Times article, as well as what I discussed on this show last week, and then we'll get into the definition of those eight components of a biblical worldview. And as you listen, ask yourself, is it concerning, is it a problem that our pastors our executive pastors, our youth pastors, our teaching pastors, as well as the head pastor, the, the guy that's actually preaching from the pulpit every Sunday. Is it concerning that they no longer hold to a biblical worldview as defined by these eight components that George Barna has put together in his research? I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion, and I'll be right back in a couple minutes. Welcome back to The Rebellion. Okay, before I go on with the rest of the show, I want to say this. If you're asking the question, what is a biblical worldview? Define your terms. We can't engage in this discussion or debate or critique without that being defined. If you're asking that question or if you're making those statements, I, I, spot on, I agree with you. That's exactly what you should do. Any researcher has to define his terms if he's going to draw a conclusion. And when I reported out on this data last week... And when I wrote about it in the Washington Times, I agree completely with those who are responding to that and saying, yeah, we're concerned, but you have to define for us what a biblical worldview is within the context of this research. So good question, spot on, exactly what you should do. So let's go back and set the context for what leads us to this discussion in the first place. It comes from the president of Arizona Christian University, Dr. Lynn Munsell. 
making this statement that kind of hit the national news. He shared the data or the results of the American Worldview Inventory 2022 that is conducted by the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University, where George Barna heads this research and this center up. And the quote from the president of Arizona Christian University, Lynn Munsell, is this, a large majority of American pastors do not possess a biblical worldview. And he said it's according to the latest findings of the American Worldview Inventory conducted by our Cultural Research Center here at Arizona Christian University. And then he went on to say this, in fact, just slightly more than a third, 37% of American pastors have a biblical worldview. And then he concluded by saying this, and the majority of these pastors, 62%, embrace a hybrid worldview known as syncretism. So that's his quote. So he mentions biblical worldview twice in that quote. And like I said, all of us are rightly responding and saying, define that for us. We need to know what you consider to be a biblical worldview within the context of the research that George Barna has done. Other data, just to remind you why this is so concerning, is is this. Uh, Senior pastors... Only four out of 10, 41%, have a biblical worldview. And then he goes on to share that teaching pastors, only 13% have a biblical worldview. Children and youth pastors only have 12%. 12% have a biblical worldview. And executive pastors, only 4% have a biblical worldview. That's stunning. And that should concern all of us. If you're, if you're a biblical Christian and you're seeing this data that only 12% of your youth pastors have a biblical worldview and only 41% of your head pastors, and the executive pastor, the guy that's actually leading the business side of the church, only 4% of those people have biblical worldviews. Uh, this, this is very concerning. Uh, Munsell, the president of Arizona Christian University, concludes by saying this, our research measured biblical understanding across eight key worldview categories. Well, what are those? What are those eight categories? Well, let's let Barna answer that question himself. Here's what he says. For the purposes of the research, a biblical worldview was defined as believing that absolute moral truths exist and that such truth is defined by the Bible. And then he goes on to say this, a firm belief in the next six specific religious views. So the first two are believing that absolute moral truths exist and that such truths are defined by the Bible. So the first two components of a biblical worldview, that absolute moral truth exists, truth exists with a capital T, and morality is defined by those truths, that there's an objective standard out there that we should be adhering to. And that objective standard is revealed to us by God through the Bible. Those are the first two components. Absolute moral truth exists, number one. And number two, those truths, that morality, is defined by the Bible. It's revealed to us by God through his written word. That's the foundation for everything that follows because the next six components are grounded in the writings of Scripture. They're anchored to 
that assumption that, number one, truth exists. Number two, it's given to us through the revelation of God in his written word. Now, if you don't have pastors that believe that, then what in the world are they teaching? What are they preaching about from the pulpit? And what are they teaching to your kids at youth group? That's the problem. If the church isn't grounded in scripture as its final authority, if the church isn't grounded in the inerrancy, the infallibility, the authority, the ultimate truth of the Bible, then what are they talking about in Sunday school class, and what are the topics and the assumptions of the sermons that you hear every week? Is it grounded in politics and power and personal opinions and emotions and feelings, or are the teachings of your church actually grounded in the facts of Scripture? That's the basic question of the first two things. And if you've got a majority of your head pastors, as well as nearly 85% or more of your youth pastors who don't believe that absolute moral truth exists and that such truth and morality is defined by Scripture, and infallibly so, then you've got a bunch of garbage that's being spewed from the people that you're paying to serve as your pastoral staff. I think that's George Barna's point, or at least that's my conclusion with regard to these first two things. Well, what are the next six? The interesting thing is the next six have to be grounded in the assumption of the first two, because if the first two are not assumed as givens, as facts, if, if truth and morality are not objectively real, and if the Bible is not the source, the measuring rod outside of those things being measured, with regard to those truths and moral assumptions, moral directions, moral teachings, then everything that follows thereafter is grounded in shifting sand, personal opinion. And the orthodoxy of the faith, the dogma of the church, is little more than dust in the wind. Again, everything that we assume to be Christian teaching just slips through our fingers because it's nothing but a social construct. It's nothing but a personal feeling and emotion. And that's not a good standard for anybody, any culture. It's certainly not a good standard. and It's not a good measuring rod for defining Christianity. Because like I've said a thousand times, you don't get to define it. I don't get to define it. It's already been defined. Christianity has already been defined by who and through what? Well, it's been defined by God himself and his revelation through the scriptures, through the Bible, the objective standard, the measuring rod outside of all things being measured. You can't have a house without a foundation, and the foundation for Christian dogma, Christian teaching, Christian orthodoxy, for the tenets of our faith, assume that there is an absolute moral truth and that it exists objectively and that that truth and those moral standards are defined for us by the Bible. Those first two things serve as the foundation for the next six. And here here they are. Here are the next six things. I'm going to go through them quickly and then we'll go back and, and talk about each one of them. Number one, Jesus Christ lived a sinless life. Number two, God is the all-powerful and all-knowing creator of the universe, and he still rules it today. Number three, salvation is a gift of God and cannot be earned. Number four, Satan is real. Number five, a Christian has the responsibility to share their faith in Christ with other people. And number six, the Bible is accurate in all of its teachings. So there you have it. Now you have the definition of a biblical worldview, at least in the mind of George Barna as he was conducting this research. 
Now, his research included a sample of well over 2,000 pastors from across the nation. So it wasn't just a small random sampling of 200, 300, 400, which is often what these pollsters do. No, George Barna had a relatively large sample for this research. So I think we can conclude that his data is pretty accurate. So he went to your pastoral staff, or at least a random sample of your pastoral staff, and he asked these basic questions. Now again, remember, he's asking these questions of pastors, youth pastors, teaching ministers, executive pastors. He's asking them, do you believe that absolute moral truths exist? Number two, do you believe that such truths and morality are defined by the Bible? Number three, do you believe that Jesus Christ lived a sinless life? Four, do you believe that God is the all-powerful and all-knowing creator of the universe and that he still rules it today? Do you believe that salvation is a gift of God and cannot be earned? Do you believe that Satan is real? Do you believe a Christian has the responsibility to share their faith in Christ with other people? And number eight, do you believe the Bible is accurate in all of its teachings? Those are the eight components, and that's what he was asking pastors. Now, and the results of asking those questions, those basic questions, those basic questions about the exclusivity of the Christian faith, that the, the, the teachings of the Bible are accurate. All of them, not just a few, but all of the teachings of the Bible are accurate. Do you believe that the Bible is the standard for all of the truths that we hold dear and the, for the moral assumptions of a civil society and culture? Do you believe that God created us and everything else and that he still reigns sovereignly over his creation? Do you understand that if your pastors aren't answering these questions appropriately, then what they're teaching from the pulpit and what they're teaching in Sunday school is not going to be grounded in the orthodoxy of our faith or the dogma of the church? And when he asked these questions of pastors, only 41% of senior pastors said that they had a biblical worldview, believed in these eight things. And like I said, the numbers drop like a rock in water for the rest of the church staff. With associate pastors, the number was only 28% subscribing to these basic assumptions of a biblical worldview. Teaching pastors were 13%. And here's the kicker. Youth pastors were 12%. It could be argued that the youth pastors are the most influential people within your church because they're training up the next generation of believers. They're the ones that have the hearts, minds, and souls of your own children. And only 12% of our youth pastors nationwide adhere to these eight basic components of what it means to be a biblical Christian. And only 4% of the executive pastors Only 4% of the executive pastors hold to a biblical worldview. So the summary of the data is that 39% of all American pastors believe in the Bible's definition of truth and morality. So here's my question. Can we all agree that these numbers aren't good and that um, this research demonstrates that we have a problem? Can we agree that when... America's pastors don't even subscribe to the basic dogma of the church, to the orthodoxy of our faith, 
to the teachings of the apostles themselves that have been passed down to us through their epistles and through their gospels? Can we agree that if we're not using the Bible as our anchor for the definition of what it means to be a Christian, and that we are supplanting that authority with our own opinions and our own feelings, can we agree that there's going to be consequences if this is the attitude of our pastoral staff? Well, George Barna actually answers this question to some extent by sharing with us the difference that a biblical worldview makes. He's basically saying that ideas have consequences. And because your pastoral staff, from the head pastor on down through the youth pastor and the executive pastor, by sharing with us the facts that they do not adhere, the majority of American pastors, I'm not saying it's your pastoral staff at your church because you may have chosen a church that's fighting against this tide, paddling upstream rather than going with the flow. But the majority of American pastors as shared with us, as as revealed to us through George Barna's research, they're not biblical. And, and does that make a difference? Well, yes, it makes a difference. Barna says this, one of the most striking insights from the research was the influence of such a way of thinking upon people's behavior. Yes, ideas have consequences. Good ideas, good results, bad ideas, bad results. He goes on and he says this, adults with a biblical worldview possessed radically different views on morality. They held divergent religious beliefs and demonstrated vastly different lifestyle choices. Well, yeah, because if you think that you can make it up as you go because you don't feel good about what the Bible says, then you're going to behave radically differently and you're going to make very different moral choices from those who use the Bible as their true north. Barna says this, people's views on morally acceptable behavior are deeply impacted by their worldview. Okay, full stop. Of course they are. I'm going to say it over and over and over again. Ideas have consequences. Good ideas, good results. Bad ideas, bad results. And if you're grounding your ideas and your personal feelings rather than biblical facts, you're going to have a different result. And I would argue it's not good, and we're suffering the consequences of that in our culture right now. Back to Barna. Upon comparing the perspectives of those who have a biblical worldview with those who do not, the former group, those with a biblical worldview, were 31 times less likely to accept cohabitation, for example. 2% versus 60%, respectively. Biblical worldview adherents were 18 times less likely to endorse drunkenness, 2% versus 36%. They were 15 times less likely to condone gay sex, unbiblical sexual activity, 2% versus 31%. They were 12 times less likely to accept profanity, 3% versus 37%. And adherents to a biblical worldview were 11 times less likely to describe adultery as morally acceptable. 4% versus 44%. Do you see the disparity here? And in addition, says Barna, less than one half of 1% of those with a biblical worldview said voluntary exposure to pornography was morally acceptable, compared to 39% of all other adults. And a similar Minuscule proportion endorsed abortion compared to 46% of adults who lack a biblical worldview. This is what Barna is telling us. 
He's telling us that the consequences of ideas are obvious and that those people who have a biblical worldview believe in the sanctity of human life, believe in the sanctity of marriage, believe that God defines truth and morality, you don't, and they believe that we should live our lives as responsible adults within the boundaries of those definitions that are given to us by God. And therefore, they live differently in culture than those people that don't share that worldview. Are they perfect? No. Do they make mistakes? Yes. But they believe that those things that are wrong are mistakes, and they try to confess those things, repent, and live differently. More from Barna. He says this, among the more intriguing lifestyle differences were the lesser propensity for those with a biblical worldview to gamble, to get drunk, and to view pornography. So in other words, those with a biblical worldview were adjusting their behavior accordingly. And he says it's very interesting that they were much less likely to gamble, they were much less likely to get drunk, and they were much less likely to engage in viewing pornography. They were also, says Barna, twice as likely to have discussed spiritual matters with other people in the past month and twice as likely to have fasted for religious reasons during the preceding month. Again, these are changes in their behavior because of the ideas that they hold. Ideas have consequences. Beliefs will lead to behaviors. Back to Barna. While one out of every eight adults who lack a biblical worldview had sexual relations with someone other than their spouse during the prior month, less than one out of a hundred individuals who have such a worldview, a biblical worldview, have done so. So the way biblically grounded people behave sexually is obvious. Because they have beliefs, they don't engage in sexual relations with someone other than their spouse at near the numbers of those who don't share a biblical worldview. So if your pastoral staff isn't grounded in a biblical worldview, it's going to affect their behaviors in these categories, sexually and otherwise. So I guess the point is this. Ideas have consequences. The ideas that your pastoral staff hold dear will have consequences, not only in their own behavior, but those ideas will bear fruit for good or for evil in the behavior of those they're preaching to and those that they're teaching. I mean, this is a self-evident truth, isn't it? Uh, Ideas never stay resident in the head or the mind of the individual. Those ideas are always going to be acted upon as that individual leaves school and goes to work, for example, and starts practicing the ideas that he was taught in the school. Uh, Likewise, your pastoral staff, what they preach and teach to you and your children aren't going to stay resident. Those ideas won't stay resident in the minds of the parishioners, you and your family. No, those ideas are going to leave the church by virtue of you going out and engaging in culture. Politically, socially, civically, however you engage in culture, you're going to carry the ideas that you were taught in church out into the culture, and it's going to bear fruit for good or for ill therein. So this explains why When you see evangelicals and Catholics, uh, pastors and priests uh, stumbling over themselves to embrace the Marxism of Black Lives Matter, there's a reason. There's a reason they're doing that, and that is because of the ideas that they hold dear. The values that they hold are leading them to embrace Marxism, because that's what Black Lives Matter is grounded in. 
And when you see them, you know, stumbling over themselves to embrace the racism of Ibrahim X. Kendi and other, and other critical race theorists, there's a reason for that. It's because of the ideas that they hold dear. And when you only have 40% of your pastoral staff, head pastoral staff, saying they hold to a biblical worldview, you shouldn't be surprised that they think BLM, Black Lives Matter, and critical race theory is a cool and in vogue way to think and act and engage politically. You're seeing your pastoral staff stumbling over themselves to embrace Marcuse rather than Moses and social justice rather than Jesus. Do you get my point? The inerrancy and the authenticity and the authority of the Bible matters because it's from that inerrant authority that we get the self-evident truths that are grounded in natural law as that is revealed to us by God. That's the context for our Declaration of Independence and the seminal documents of our constitutional republic. That's the context for the church. But we're now panning this this idea, this biblical worldview, as being racist and bigoted. And this is coming from your pastoral staff, your youth pastors and your head pastor, your teaching pastors. They're embracing the ideas of culture more than the ideas that are given to us by God. They're worshiping the created rather than the creator. They've been doing it for so long that they can't think clearly any longer. As the Apostle Paul told us, they've exchanged the truth, the truth of God for a lie. The truth of God's objective standards, as given to us in Scripture, they've replaced that for the lie that's grounded in their feelings and their opinions. And they're given over to a reprobate mind. That's one way that Scripture defines it. Another word is debased mind. It's, it goes back to the original sin. When we declare ourselves to be as God, which is exactly what this data says, we don't need God to tell us what to do any longer. We will decide because we know the difference between good and evil. That's basically the message of this data. And a huge percentage of America's pastoral staff is embracing that deception, that lie. They're engaging in that original sin. And we're told in the Psalms that he who sits in the heavens laughs, that the Lord scoffs at this, this this foolishness, this arrogance. Back to my point in a previous episode. Wolves in sheep's clothing are dangerous, but wolves in shepherd's clothing are downright deadly. And we've got a lot of pastors across the nation that are dressed up as shepherds. But look at, um, just look at them a little bit more closely. See some sharp teeth. Sharp teeth that exposes the fact that they're really wolves. We're in the mess that we are in our culture right now because 60% of our pastoral staff is worshiping what they see in the mirror rather than what they find in the world. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion.